Good morning. If I can uh, get your attention, if we can bring your conversations to a close. Um, if you've got your church Bibles, can you turn with me to page 1085? And we're going to be reading today from John chapter 17. So it says this, after Jesus says this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your, world, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, did you realize that today is seven weeks and one day until Christmas? Woo! 
Uh, how many of you are organized already? Who's ordered the turkey? Who's bought and wrapped the gifts? Show of hands, who started decorating their houses? Oh, okay, well done, well done. <laughs> now, what is one of the first things that usually happens around this time of year? It's usually that people start asking you for a gift list, don't they? My family at the moment, everybody is talking to each other, what do you want for Christmas? And if you are like me and you are becoming uh, ever increasingly sad and set in your ways, you probably don't have very much on your Christmas list. The only thing that I have on my Christmas list is a battery-powered garden strimmer, and I'm even on the fence about it. I've got to be honest. However, if you ask my kids, they have a huge Christmas list, this ever-increasing Christmas list of Lego, Nintendo Switch games, books, toys, perfume, clothes. The list goes on and on and on, and every single day I get live updates on this ever-increasing list. And why do I mention this? I mention this because so often our prayer lives can be like an ever-increasing Christmas list. We spend most of our time telling God what we think we need and what we think that we want that will make us happy. Often, when we think about what we want and what we think about what we need, actually, we're, we're not praying or asking for the thing that it is we're asking for. Like, if you were to pray for a holiday, what you're probably asking for is that you would have rest and peace and refreshment. And there's no point in praying for a holiday if you're a parent of young children. You will not get rest and refreshment when you go away. It will still be stressful. They will still talk back and argue with you. If you are praying for money and provision, it could be that actually what you're praying for is security. You're praying for an increased sense of security. Or maybe you think that a particular material thing will bring you joy. Often what we can be doing when we pray is that actually we're, we're asking that God's will would be conformed to ours. We're saying, hey, Jesus, I know what I need, I know what I want, and it's your job to come and do it. Now, the passage that we're reading today is broken into three headings. It's Jesus prays for his glorification, Jesus prays for his disciples, and Jesus prays for all believers but one thing that is very evident throughout all of this passage is that Jesus does not pray as we sometimes often pray. What we see here in our passage today is the complete opposite. Jesus does not pray for his own material gain, his comfort, his well-being. What he is in fact praying for is that his will would be conformed to that of the Father's. And he goes on to pray the same for us as well. You see, initially Jesus prays that the Son... And by the Son, he means himself, would be glorified so that he might glorify the Father. When Jesus asks that he would be glorified, what he is asking for is his impending crucifixion. He is actually praying that he would suffer and die in the most humiliating and excruciating way. And why, why is he praying for this? Why would anybody pray like this? You see, Jesus knows that by being crucified, by his death and resurrection, that he will pay the price for our sin. He will establish relationship between God and his people, which was otherwise separated by sin. He will grant them eternal life. They will both know God and be known by God. And most importantly, he will bring glory to the Father and himself in the process. Now, this is a radically different sort of prayer, isn't it? 
Now, we can't imitate Jesus entirely here. We aren't to pray for our own glorification in the same way that Jesus did because he is talking about his death and resurrection. He is talking about his life being offered as a ransom for ours. And this isn't something that we can imitate. This is something for us to receive with gladness, isn't it? But what we can learn from this is, that our, is, is to pray that our hearts would be conformed to God's. Let me illustrate this for you. So I, I have three daughters, and in all of my 11 years plus of parenting, not once has one of them come up to me and said, Daddy, I want to obey you. <laughs> Help me to conform my will to yours. I mean, that would be an absolute parenting miracle. It's literally number three on my Christmas list to God before a holiday and more money. <laughs> But imagine not just that. Imagine not just a one-time thing. Imagine every single day they came up to me and said, Dad, help me to be obedient to you. Help me to conform my will to yours. Now, that just doesn't happen, doesn't it? I'm not saying my kids are bad kids. They're good kids. But um, that level of obedience is still lacking. And in fact, more often what they're trying to do is they are trying to conform my will to theirs. Even the little two-year-old, Kezi, she will come up to me and just shout, Peppa, Peppa. And what she's saying is, put Peppa Pig on the TV. I don't want to watch Peppa Pig. I hate Peppa Pig. <laughs> but it's a battle of wills. But, what, but this is what Jesus is doing with the Father. And this is what we need to do as well. We need to pray as Jesus does, not seeking our own will, not with our shopping list of wants, but we need to pray, Jesus, conform my will to yours. Jesus seeks his own glorification so that the Father might be glorified. You see, Jesus' aim, his highest priority, is to bring glory to the Godhead. I think sometimes as believers, we are happy to live a God-centered life as long as we think that God is man-centered. But God is not man-centered. God is God-centered. Jesus clearly shows us this here in that his priority is to bring glory to the Father. But our aim needs to be the same as Jesus, to bring glory to the Father. Jesus wants us to step into eternal life by knowing God, and so that by doing, we will bring glory to God as well. You know, how is it, how is it that you become a Christian? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Well, let, let, me, let me tell you how you become a Christian. You pray, and often you will pray something like, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. Or Jesus, I want to give you my life today. And what you're doing in that moment is you are laying down your own life and you are saying, not my will be done, but yours be done over my life. And I think that sometimes as believers, we, we can forget that actually this isn't just a one-time prayer for us. This is something we need to go on praying every single day. Lord, help me to make you the Lord of my life every single day. Help me to obediently follow you so that you would be glorified in us and through us. Now we see that Jesus prays for his disciples and for all believers. Have you ever asked Jesus, what is the will and desire that you have for my life? Well, actually, the great news here is that we have a direct insight into how Jesus prays for his disciples and for all believers. There is an insight into what God has for us and wants for us this morning. Jesus starts by praying for their protection. He is recognizing the fact that he will not remain in the world, but his disciples will. 
this is an acceptance by Jesus that he is going to leave them. He is not going to remain in the world for much longer, but his disciples are. Jesus says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. This can literally be translated, keep them in your name. Jesus is praying that they would remain in God by the power and might of his name. He is asking that they would not be lost, that they would not walk away from God, but that they would remain in him. And we need to seek God for persevering faith. We need to pray for ourselves and for one another that God would protect us by the power of his name and that he would keep us in him. We should not be naive. 1 Corinthians reminds us, it says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. And we need to ask God for his help to faithfully follow him and remain in him day by day. Jesus prays for the protection of the disciples so that they might have unity like Jesus and the Father have. You see, Jesus wants us to have this level of unity, this level of intimacy and relationship with God and with one another. Jesus goes on to pray for the world. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. You know, over, over the last few years, I've had the, the pleasure of traveling to a few different places. So uh, last year, I got to travel to India with work, which was um, uh, absolutely amazing. A few years ago, myself and Hannah and the family, we got to go and visit a uh, family in Canada, and we got to spend a few days in the US as well. And one thing about all of these travels that's been really distinct for me is border control. So in the US in particular, we, uh, we got out of the car, we joined the queue, somebody is there sweeping a mirror under your car, they're rummaging through all your stuff, and you queue up and you finally get to the, the border control off official, and they've got a gun on their hip, everyone is there armed and ready, and it's quite an intimidating sight, isn't it? And you, you talk to this kind of border official, and they look at you with a sense of distrust and skepticism, and they want to know, why are you coming into their country? And so you, you try and be very polite, you don't say too much, you don't disagree with them. Hopefully, all being well, they will let you in. But one of the things that has been very, very plain to me in all of those experiences is that I don't belong here. I am a guest. I'm actually, this is not where I belong. You know, in contrast, when I came back from India into Heathrow, I didn't have any sense of nervousness. I thought, you know, I am a British citizen with a British passport. It is my birthright to be here. I felt completely confident as I walked through border control. But you see, the Christian life is much like this, isn't it? We are the foreigner, the sojourner, and the exile. We are not meant to feel at home in the world. And let's be honest, this can be uncomfortable for us at times, can't it? Knowing that everyone around you is not living as you are, knowing they believe things that are radically different to you. The Bible says that we are like lambs amongst wolves, and that can be pretty scary. Jesus, in our passage today, says that the world has hated them. And so what is the temptation here? Well, actually, the temptation is to flee, it's to run away, it's to isolate ourselves from the world. But Jesus does not pray, take them out of the world. He prays for their protection from the evil one. His prayer is that we would remain in the world whilst not being of 
the world. And I think one of the most obvious and great biblical examples of this is Daniel. Now, for those of you who don't know, Daniel was an exile in Babylon, and he did not follow the gods or customs of the people around him. He was a hard worker, he was an impressive worker, and he was well regarded by the king as a result. In fact, he was so good that he was showing up other people around him. He was making them look bad because he worked so hard and was so diligent. And so the administrators and satraps tried to catch Daniel out, but they couldn't. They couldn't catch him out. And so what did they do instead? They went to the king and they said to the king, make a decree that for the next 30 days, nobody can pray to any other god or any other person other than you. And if they do, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. And what does Daniel do? He continues to faithfully pray to God. He's caught in the act. He's thrown into the lion's den. But what happens? God sends an angel to close the mouth of the lion, and he protects Daniel. Daniel is unharmed. And not only that, King Darius is so amazed at this miracle that he praises Daniel's God and orders a decree that all people must fear and revere Daniel's God. You know, there can be a great fear for the believer in, in being faithful within the world, can't there? We all know people that have been thrown to the lion's den. But, and my challenge to you is not to seek your will, but to continue to conform your will to God's. Jesus goes on to pray for their sanctification. He says, sanctify them by the truth of your word. To be sanctified means to be made more like Jesus. To be made more like Jesus means to be made holy. It means to be set apart and distinct for him. You see, Jesus does not want you to be conformed to the world, but he does want you to be conformed to God. You know, let's be clear here. This is God's work. God is working in us and through us to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. You know, I remember a number of years ago, I came to a real crossroads in my life. I had just finished sixth form, and I had started university, and I knew that I just wasn't living how I should. I was not living obediently to God. And actually, my goal at the time was to find the path of least resistance. I didn't want responsibility, and that was the whole reason that I chose to go to university, or I should say started university, because I thought, it's going to be easier than getting a job. That was my motivation. And I felt, a real, I felt like God was convicting me and speaking to me through this. And I went for a walk down Hangersbury Head one day. And I prayed and I read my Bible. And I said, Lord, would you speak to me? And I came to 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And I remember in that moment, God powerfully speaking to me and convicting me to stop acting like a child, stop acting like a boy, and start acting like a man. Take responsibility for yourself and for your actions. Now, this might seem like the opposite of taking responsibility, but the first thing I did was I went and dropped out of university. Um, which, but actually, it was the right thing for me to do. I was there for the wrong reason and for the wrong motivation, and I went and got a job in a high street bank, and I worked hard, and uh, yeah, God continued to work and do things through me. And it meant that by the time that me and Hannah got married, I was um, responsible. I had a real desire to work hard and provide for a family, which was, which was a good thing. You know, a couple of years ago as a church, we did a, um, a personality test called Strengths Finder. And this is, uh, I think it's a particularly good personality test. And my number two strength was responsibility. And actually, I believe that's because of the work of God in my life. If you'd asked me 
18 years ago, whatever it was, it would not have been responsibility. If there was a strength of lack of responsibility or childishness, it would have been right up there. I mean, childishness is still there a little bit, but, you know. But this was God sanctifying me through his word. This was God saying, hey, I want to I work with you on this part of your life. And God wants to continue sanctifying us as his people together today. Jesus goes on to pray for unity. Jesus is praying for all believers, and his desire is that they would have unity. Jesus says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And he goes on to say, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. You see, Jesus is saying three things here. He's saying, the Father is in me, I am in the Father, would they be in us and have complete unity? <laughs> D.A. Carson says this. He says, Some measure of unity in the disciples is assumed, but Jesus prays that they may be brought to complete unity, sharing richly in both the unity of purpose and the wealth of love that tie the Father and Son together. Christians themselves have been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son, secure and content and fulfilled because loved by the Almighty himself with the very love he reserves for his son. It is hard to imagine a more compelling evangelistic appeal. You see, Jesus prays and desires that we would know the incredible love of the Father for the Son, that we would experience this love ourselves. Romans 5 says the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we can know this incredible love, this love that brings joy, a joy like no other, a security, a contentment, a peace like no other. And one of the outworkings of this incredible love is unity. Here at Gateway Church, we need to fight for unity. You know, I'm sure that we can all think of people that were once with us and now aren't for various different reasons. And don't mishear me here. I'm not trying to oversimplify this. I know that things can be complicated and different and every Every situation is unique, but we can become divided over the most ridiculous things. Sometimes these aren't even big theological differences. Now, of course, we must hold to key doctrines, but often these aren't the things that cause the division amongst us. Sometimes it's as simple as our own personal preferences. Sometimes we just don't like someone. Sometimes these things can be important things, but they are always secondary things. You know, a good, a good friend of mine planted a church in the U.S. about seven years ago, and uh, I'm always encouraged to see how God is blessing them and growing them. I still get their weekly mailer, and I love reading it because I love just seeing what God is doing in them and through them. But I remember a few years ago, during the last U.S. election, I was talking with my friend, and he said, please pray for us. Like, this is so hard. We've got, we've got these polar opposites in the church. People are fighting. People are leaving the church all because of who they were going to vote for, all because they had this, this so convinced that their party was God's party and their leader was God's leader. And I'm not saying that these aren't important things. Actually, as believers, we are called to pray for our political leaders. We should pray for our political leaders. We should engage in democracy. We should be thankful that we have the opportunity to vote. We should pray with our God-given consciences. But these things are secondary things. They aren't worth division over. And what we need more than our party in power is unity with God himself and with one another. You know, we've sung today, haven't we, about um, some of the songs that have been focusing our hearts and minds on eternity. 
In eternity, we're not going to be thinking about these things. These things that cause so much division, we're not going to be thinking about them. We're not going to think, oh man, if only, if only that had happened 10,000 years ago. You know, these are secondary things. Another perhaps more subtle attack on unity is a lack of commitment, of staying on the edge, of not being fully committed or submitted to biblical authority. If you've ever read the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, you'll know that it is about an older demon coaching a younger demon on how to deter a new believer from the Christian faith. One of the points later made in the book is you either want them to be indifferent to the church that they're in, um, or you want them to keep hopping from church to church to church so they become a connoisseur of local churches. I just want to read you a quick extract from this book. And, um, this is Screwtape, who is the older demon talking to Wormwood, the younger demon. And when he, just as a helpful point, when he says the word enemy, when he says enemy, he means God, just so there's no confusion. He says this, the reasons are obvious. In the first place, the parochial organization should always be attacked because being a unit of place and not of likings, it brings people of different classes and psychology together in the kind of unity the enemy desires. In the second place, the search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy wants him to be a pupil. I'm not saying today that you must make Gateway Church your church, but God does want you to be plugged in and knitted in and connected and committed to a local church. This is a good thing for you and for us. So our solution to disunity is to know and enjoy the love of God. It's about having a God-centered life. And we achieve this by being shaped through his word and through prayer. As we are more and more transformed by the love of God and committed to Christ, we will be ever more increasingly committed to one another. So let's pray that God would keep our hearts soft and that we would have an ever-increasing sense of unity amongst us as his people. Jesus goes on to pray for mission. He says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself be in them. I mentioned earlier that about whether you've ever asked God what's, you, what's his plan for your life. Well, actually, God wants you to be caught up in his plan. He wants you to join in his work of sharing the gospel. Evangelist Simon Gilbo says this. He says, we are the incarnation of the gospel to our family, neighbors, colleagues, fellow students, and whoever we happen to meet. For many, we are possibly the first and only evidence of the reality of the grace of God. If that is indeed the case, that I am the, fact, the first, perhaps only evidence of the truth of the good news of salvation for many, how convincing or appealing am I in what I say and do? You know, I think often a lack of effective mission to the world brings us back to our earlier points. It can be that a fear of the world leads us to isolation and withdrawal from it. A lack of holiness, a lack of sanctification, being set apart from the God, leads us to be assimilated into the world. Well, there's no difference between us and the world. Everything is the same. And a lack of unity, a lack of community, means that there's no difference between us and any other social group around. And these things will hinder our mission. But imagine this. Imagine a people that are set apart for God, knowing assurance that they are loved, that they are secure in who they are because their identity is given them by God. It is not a construct of their own making. 
a people with purpose who live holy lives, seeking to do what is good and right, being salt and light to the world. A people who are a part of a radical community, not just that, but a family. They are committed, they are as committed to one another as the Father is to the Son. And how amazing is that? How attractive is that to the world around us? And how, how much does the world need this now more than ever before? Don't mishear me here. I'm not saying that we are not these things. In fact, quite the opposite. I, I am personally so encouraged by what I'm seeing God doing amongst us. It's amazing. God is sanctifying us. God is unifying us. God is uh, bringing in people and saving people amongst us. It's amazing. But I want to encourage us to continue to seek more and more of this as we pray. Okay, so in summary, why, why pursue holiness, unity, or mission? It is because God is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. You see, Jesus prays that he would be glorified so that we would glorify the Father. Jesus prays that we would know God, know his awesome love for us, and step into eternal life. That we would be protected from the world whilst we are in the world. That we would remain in faith to God, that we would be a holy and set-apart people. That we would be a radically different, unified community. And that we would share his message of love and redemption to the world by joining God in his mission. And why? So that we would bring glory to God. Our highest aim needs to be to bring glory to God. I just invite you to stand. I want to pray for us and uh, as the band comes back. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just do pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people. Help us to conform our will to yours. Lord, help us... Help us in the world. Protect us. Lord Jesus, protect us from all that is going on, all the difficulties, all the trials, all the challenge. Lord, I pray that you would sanctify us. Lord, I pray that you would continue your work in us to make us more and more like Jesus, that we would be a people that are set apart for you. Father, I pray, I pray for unity. I pray that you would protect unity amongst us, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would see an ever-increasing sense of this being a radical community. Lord, and I pray that as we do that, that our light would shine out. We would not hide it away, but our light would shine out into the world, Lord Jesus. And I pray that, Lord, you would give us boldness, Lord Jesus, that we would not isolate ourselves away, we would not conform to the world, but Lord, we would be on mission to the world. Lord, I thank you for the great love that you have for us. Lord, help us to go and share that message. But Lord, I pray that we would do all of these things for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through us, through our lives, and that we would be ever increasingly bringing you praise and honor and glory. Amen.